Bonjour, je suis Patrick També et vous êtes à l'écoute de Beyond the Grid. Hi everyone, Tom Clarkson here and welcome to Beyond the Grid presented by Bose QuietComfort 35-2 wireless headphones. My guest this week is a man who raced for some of Formula One's top teams, including McLaren, Ferrari and Renault. He won a couple of races for Ferrari, but it was the way in which he carried the team through the second half of 1982, which was one of the most tumultuous seasons in its history that left as big an impression as any trophy, especially for the Tifosi. I'm talking, of course, about Patrick Tombay. Patrick is one of motorsport's good guys. He arrived in F1 via the circuitous route of downhill skiing, the US college system and the American Can-Am series. He was very highly rated to the extent that he had the choice of Ferrari or McLaren in his first full season in 1978. He chose McLaren and his close friend Gilles Villeneuve went to Ferrari. Patrick would, of course, eventually join the prancing horse in 82 when he was called upon to take none other than Villeneuve's seat after the Canadian's tragic death. He then had to carry the team forward when Ferrari's other driver, Didier Peroni, suffered horrendous injuries during practice at Hockenheim. It was a dangerous time, a time for warriors. And Patrick remains one to this day as he bravely battles Parkinson's disease. We caught up recently in his homeland, at Paul Ricard in fact, where Patrick gamely regaled me with stories from his fascinating career. His illness means his voice is weaker today than it once was, but it certainly wasn't going to stop him chatting. To kick things off, I asked him how he got his start in this crazy world we call motorsport. But how much um, racing was there in your family? None. None at all? None. So, so how My did you... My mother didn't want me to, to do any motor, motor racing, uh, mountain climbing and motorcycle. Those were the three uh, forbidden uh, things that I should play with. So, obviously the, so what drew you to car racing? <laughs> an accident. It was an accident? An accident. I just uh, happened to be in Monaco when they rolled out the new Formula Renault for uh, 72. And I said, you can drive this car? Yeah, it's here to, for promotion for you to see. We're going to be able to run you if you want at Paul Ricard. And I was happy to go down to Paul Ricard because it's closer to home, to Cannes. And uh, I didn't expect to be a, a racing driver. I didn't want to. And I thought that I couldn't make it. I looked at the pictures of Sporto, of magazines, and uh, that's all. I was excited by that. So was it a lightning bolt moment for you? The moment oh, yes. you drove the car, it was yes. like... I've discovered something. Lightning? No, that, I, <laughs> not, I'm going to use another word. It was a climax. <laughs> it was that. Every, yes. It was that. I can exactly. remember down there, that hangar, <laughs> getting into the car, putting, starting the engine. I had uh, Ardon. <laughs> you know what kind of podcast this is, Patrick. But, but, um, but it really was that exciting for you. You just knew immediately <laughs> this is what you wanted to do. No, I didn't know what... what that it was something for me to do. I just reacted to it mm. physically and, mm. and uh, emotionally. I was taken by the excitement of the instant. I, su I suppose, in a way, you had racing in your blood because mm. you'd been part of the French national ski team. Yeah. And were all, was, it, was that downhill? Downhill. downhill. downhill and slalom at the time we had to do all of the... Three uh, discipline. The only so you're three. suitably mad enough to be a racing driver. You knew that. <laughs> no, I didn't know if I, if I was mad enough. I just wanted to ski. I just had went to ski also very close to where we live in Cannes. It takes an hour to go up in the mountains and being capable of finding uh, downhill uh, FIA uh, uh, piste. How good were you at skiing? Not good enough to become Kili. Or Peria, Jean-Claude Killy is a great, great, great uh, skier. He's also a great driver, but he can only concentrate for two minutes and, and 50 seconds, which is a lap of Targa Florio, for example, which he did. He won the Targa Florio. Yeah, he did. He yeah. did. 
Was Killy a friend of yours? Yes. Growing but up, he yeah. was uh, older, he was one of the older yeah. guys. Yeah. So, so there was no racing background, it was very much skiing for you. Yes. You then tested that Formula Renault in, uh, here at Paul yes, Ricard yes, in 1971. Yes, yes. You enjoyed it immediately. How quick were you when you first started driving? <laughs> I don't know how quick I was. I was quick enough to win the, the final of the two times uh, ten laps standing start. Uh, I came back from the States where I was a student at the time. So that's, they said, you have uh, still a good, good uh, lap time on the on the storyboard of the of the drivers that have come to the school, you must come back for the for the finals. So I did come back, and I blew them into the weeds because I had a, a lot of training. That's interesting in itself that you went to university in Colorado. What's wrong with Paris? What's wrong with Nice? What's wrong with? You're gonna have to buy my, my book <laughs> and learn some French. <laughs> I've done a book. Why why Colorado for you? Well, I fell in love with an American girl, and uh, that happened. That is a story that comes in the book, so you will have to wait. But uh, it's basically because I felt the American way of life was great, and uh, the American way of life liked me also, so we decided to go. And I suppose that had a positive effect as well, well on your on your English. Yes. I've lost, I've lost my English, I'm sorry. I've lost most of my English. This, this is due to the Parkinson and the, the, the fact that you also a little bit Alzheimer. So it's like they've taken some. Well, trust me, it's still, it's much better than mine. No. <laughs> no, no. But, but it was, it must have helped you, that English. Yes. When you every, came every, in touch with all the British yes, teams. Yes, absolutely. And Everything was, I don't know for what reason, but uh, I know that uh, everything that had happened to me from then on was for a reason, for me being a racing driver. Did you get exposed to American car racing when you were at university over there? No. No, okay. No. In Boulder uh, University, they didn't have any restrictions. They have one now, I think. And uh, no, I was, it was not uh, not uh, racing in the States either. You won the Can-Am Championship twice, once in 1977 and again in 1980. Was part of the reason you raced over there your love of America and love of American life? Or, or was it money? Or, or? No, no, you're right. Just the, 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 the opening up, the little instant of decision-making to go back to the States to race. Well, it was the, before, the, first, the first time in 77, it was to build up my, my uh, experience in Formula One. I started the same time mid-season in Formula One and in Canam. And uh, it was, uh, the reason was to build up enough uh, purse money to be able to pay Teddy Yip for my step into Formula One. With Theodore. With Theodore. Yeah. And Sid Taylor, and that was 80,000 US dollars. Crikey, back then that was, well, even now, oh. that's, a, that's a fortune, but back then it was twice, three times what Oof. it is. Yeah. Compared to what it is now. Yeah. I don't know how the kids do it. Mm. The kids can't. And the prize money was that good well, in Canam? I don't know if 80,000 US dollars was good, but I had six victories. Yeah. So it's not much per victory. But I, every dollar counted for Teddy Yip. Of course, so you make your Formula One debut in 77, as you say. And that is when, at least from a Formula One perspective, your career started to cross with Gilles Villeneuve because yes. you both made your debut together at Silverstone. Do you yes, remember? Yes, it, it goes further back. Our um, first encountered, uh, I came to Three Rivers and he was put out by a, a color sponsorship to be able to race against a, a European hot shoes coming to be hot shoe. And uh, we got face to face uh, confrontation starting in 76 uh, in 77 in Canam. What were your first impressions of Vilna? 
he was a good racing driver. He didn't have, he didn't have the proper equipment. I was going to blow him up, which I did. But that was before. Was he a nice man? Very nice. Immediately you immediately. had a, you had a good relationship. Yes, immediately with him, with his family, with the kids, with Joanne. It was an immediate bond. And, uh, but he was doing the, the crazy things. I was just following. What kind of stuff was oh. he doing? Oh, no, no, I can, I, I could tell you stuff, but I won't. Like uh, going out with the boat and almost flipping it over. With you in it? It's a bad boat, yeah. He just wanted, he just got it and he wanted me to show. And we went outside at Monaco into the high seas and it was really, really, really rough. And he almost flipped it. I came down and broke the windshield by with the weight of my body and the, the shock. What was his reaction to something like oh, that? Laugh. He big laughed. laugh, big laugh. Uh, Another I don't time suppose he you did, were laughing, no. Oh, helicopter. I think the helicopter was the worst. Overloading, overloading the helicopter in the mountains in Palu, where he was staying for skiing. Overloading with the Christmas presents, grandparents, father, mother, Jack and Melanie, and going down the hill to try to get some speed to be able to hoover up. And at the end, it was no, almost not reachable. The speed was not enough, but he still managed to go down the, in the big hole, get some speed and came back up. He should have been... He, he tobogganed a helicopter down a hill. Yeah, he was the owner of the chopper. Oh, God. Oh, God. No, 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 crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. But, well, it's an interesting thing because after doing your half season in 77, you then um, have an opportunity to go to Ferrari for 78. But you opt for McLaren. Why did you make that choice? Didn't have a, I didn't have any manager. I stopped by Charles Stewart in London, where, where was the base of Philip Moyes racing at the time, managed by John Organ. And John Organ was told me uh, suddenly, oh, there's a friend of yours coming. Teddy Mayer comes in with uh, his American briefcase, his American watch, and his American way of saying stuff. And uh, You knew all about that because of your experience in Colorado. Yes. And uh, I don't know, it sounded more strong than the contract with Ferrari, which had been put out. The, 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 the meeting with Enzo had been postponed. So I thought uh, I better hold on to that. A couple of years, he said uh, James Hunt would be a better teammate than Carlos Reutemann. The Goodyear Tars were going to be better than the Michelin Tars. This, they came up with all sorts of good, good points, good excuses. And I said, okay, I'll go with you. Did you, did you decide on the spot that yes. you were going? Yes, I thought. I mean, I was coming from, from what? Mm. Uh, the ensign at Chamonix in uh, Okenheim, which was like Chamonix, sort of way. <laughs> the ensign uh, car was a, a good little team, but we had to borrow gearbox from the bigger team in order to have a certain speed uh, adequate to the gearbox. So, and we had to take it out after the race, back to McLaren, in fact, because obviously uh, the inside guys told me to go to, to Monan and to, to get uh, Teddy Mayer was, yes, I think Teddy Mayer was already the, the, the chief. Uh, he's a lawyer, was a lawyer and, uh, he had a special way of winding his watch. Shaking, shaking, shaking his wrist. Shaking, shaking his wrist. Was it? Shaking. So in that 78 season, what did you learn of James Hunt? Ah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I can tell you all the things I learned. <laughs> uh, okay, how quick was James in 78? Very quick. Mm. I tried to go to match his speed. Mm. 
Because people time say to... who were there at the time. Sadly, I wasn't. But that 77 was James's best season, a lot of people think. And you think he was carrying that momentum into 78 as well. Mm. Yes, that's what we all thought. It would happen. But I think he, at the time, didn't have a car, new car every year. We were split on the, on the seasons. And I don't think that the M26 that he had to drive like I had was a good enough car to be able to bring him to another championship, which was true. Mm. And afterwards came the Michelin, and that was even even stronger. But at the time, I was with John Watson driving an M28, mm. which was the first of the McLaren uh, carbon fiber ch- chassis, mm-hmm. and that uh, broke off. Broke our uh, momentum a little bit. And Patrick, what did you learn from James Hunt off the track? Nothing that young, I could use young, again. Young, good-looking Frenchman. Nothing that I could use again. <laughs> I just learned uh, that uh, it was good fun to have uh, around the racetracks, especially when you go from Argentina to Brazil or Brazil to Argentina for two weeks in a row there. He, the mechanics, McLaren mechanics, learned that uh, why I destroyed three McLarens, three, <laughs> one on the Friday, one on Saturday, one on Sunday, and they couldn't fix why uh, this was happening to me because I had been a pretty, pretty reliable driver before. And uh, I told them lately, because now I think there is a lot of water under the bridge, like I said, we say, friend. And uh, the Brazilian lady, that I had met at the time. I would have liked to have a reunion with her and compare our notes now. That's what James taught me, taught me really, really. Uh, and Patrick McNally, also from Philip Morris, which was James' uh, teammate. So, um, now let's fast forward. So 1979 was uh, a difficult year. John Watson was your teammate. The car wasn't competitive. Why didn't you have an F1 seat in 1980? Because I didn't want to get back into this, this uh, carousel. I'd gone to the, to, the, to the fact, to the point where I said, I'm coming back only if I drive for Ferrari or Renault. There was no way that uh, Ferrari or Renault would pick me up after three attempt or whatever and uh, they did because of uh, bad, bad circumstances circumstances so you'd had enough of Formula One after two years what aspect of Formula One basically the equipment mm. I'd been good in F2 mm-hmm. good uh, uh, compared to teammate like James Hunt in '78, uh, and then suddenly it was shit. So you'd rather win races in Canam than finish tenth in Formula One. I called Carl Haas and I said this. he kind of understood that uh, I was calling for help, and he said, "Come over," and I got back there and mm. it started all over again. So what was the lure? Of, of 1981, you know, and being, um, you know, in the, the Ligier, the Theodore, why were you so convinced they were going to be better? I was looking around. I was looking around for something to happen. I was looking for a match, mm. uh, which didn't happen, did not happen with, uh, with uh, Ligier. I know now why, but uh, the first race was at French Grand Prix, in uh, Manicourt, we had uh, transmission problems. Guy Ligier was a case in, its, in itself. <laughs> and uh, what do you mean? Oh, more courvoisier or or drinks, out, out liquor drinks on the briefing table, and there was engineers' paperwork, like uh, I, assume, I assume today they have. Uh, and I almost lost my two legs in in uh, Las Vegas yeah. by breaking the car in two. Yeah. So I came out of the car 
forward without having to use a safety belt. I mean, it was a big shunt, mm. no dash, no gear lever, no information anymore, and I, I just hopped. Is that, but how, any, any damage at all for, no. to you? No, 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 just uh, calves. Oh. I yeah. should have had it like the Danny Young guys, if you have seen that picture. Yeah. In the in Indy, Indy. Indianapolis 500. You can see yeah. the car, he's flying uh, and he's got his two, two legs out. Mm. That's what it was like for you, but you just luckily... I didn't have a scratch. Yeah, yeah. So it was a miracle. And of course you had another good crash at Monaco in the, the Haas Lola, didn't you, in 86? You, yes. I think, was it Mirabeau you had a... Esmo. Esmo Monza. It was in Monza. Well, you had one in Monaco as well. Oh yes, yeah. Monaco. Did you have Did you have one in, in Monza as well? <laughs> yeah, Monza. It's, oh God. Monza, well, Monza was uh, not my fault. Yeah. Monaco was. Mm. I went on to bundle uh, mm. for with the new Lola Ford. I was using the Ford engine for the first time. Mm. I was six, mm. and uh, I, 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 I tried to go to get that point. Yeah. Well, while we're talking about that Haas Lola, um, you, why why didn't that work? Because you had a good budget, you had a car that had a bit of a dream team involved. There was Ross Braun, Adrian Newey, Neil Oatley, who's currently you know at McLaren. On paper, uh, Taylor Alexander. Tyler, it, on paper, it looked amazing. Why didn't it work? It was a whole gang of guys from. McLaren's, I think. Teddy Mayer also was involved in to being the orchestra. So it was a big band. Um, it didn't work out because the engines were the Ford engines and the air are the turbo. And I think they were the last ones to come in, to come on board and they didn't master the problem well enough. So. Not enough power or was it unreliability? Really? Remember the time in four, in Formula One with the turbo engines, you had to have a lot of smooth pickup and power had to come soon and linear and uh, we couldn't, it was too violent. Difficult to control. Yes. With your right foot. And was there unreliability as well? Yes, yes, but mm. because we had, were struggling with the, with the steering of the engine. Mm. So it was... Uh, how good was the car, though? Because that Very was good. one of Adrian Newey's sort of early involvement. Very good. Very how, good. How good? Well, I mean, it depends on the speed you're gaining to the corner, obviously. Sure. But uh, we got to Le Rouge, first lap, very stable. I'm driving a Formula 3. <laughs> Second lap, flat, and they're on flat all the time. Are you going to say, well, you were getting to the corner slowly? Maybe a little bit sl slower, slower mm. than the, the regular guys. But uh, no, the car felt, you, were, you felt that you were driving a, a real racing car. Can you remember what it was like working with someone like Adrian, Newey or, or Ross Braun? Yes. Because they were young guys back then. Just the, the, they, were, they were a dream team. Mm. I think this is it all. Mm, mm. And uh, it's been good because we kept uh, having a good relationship with, after that on the human part of of the game. And that was really nice, especially going to Goodwood and me and seeing them mm, mm. again. How about Alan Jones, your teammate that year? Ah, AJ. AJ. AJ is a good guy. When you're his teammate, if you're not... He's a, he's a monster. He's a killer. But uh, he was uh, already a little bit uh, on the downhill side, uh, put on a little bit too much weight, like me today. So, hey, John Z, I hope you follow the diet. But I'm sure you're not. We spoke to Jonesy earlier in the year for the podcast. His his language hasn't improved, uh, let me tell you that. <laughs> You're so inextricably linked to Ferrari. Um, can you just talk us through the moment um, when you heard that Gilles Villeneuve had been killed in Zolder? Where were you? I was in a way. 
Hawaii. Hawaii. I was in my father-in-law's uh, den, and the phone rings. It's uh, 10 in the morning over there, 10 in the, mo- in the evening, Europe side, and it's Didi Pironi. He calls me. And uh, it's something that uh, we all knew would happen one way or the other. Or the other. Off on the, in the helicopter, or on a boat, or in his Bronco, or in his Formula One car. Every time, it, that would be the limit. Every time, he had to push the envelope and test it a little bit further. And sometimes, with his car, with his family on board. I remember going to a rally once with a Fiat uh, 121, I think. His daughter lying on the, on the back, sleeping. Shaq holding on to the two uh, and the rest there is and saying, faster daddy, faster daddy. And jumping from one corner to the next. Like crazy. He was playing with his kids also. And no, no, no surprise that Shaq has become... A crazy nutter also. But Patrick, when... So you're in Hawaii, in your father-in-law's house, and you hear Didier Peroni's voice on the end of the telephone. Mm-hmm. Did you know immediately what he was ringing about? Did you have a gut feeling? I mean, how much contact did you have with Peroni? Was he... Uh, no, no, no. So it was first unusual, time. unusual for time. him to call you? First time. But uh, he was—he called me to, to announce that uh, Gilles had a bad accident. He didn't tell me that uh, he was calling me for for uh, to take over his his uh, his, his, his place. Uh, he didn't say that was the purpose, and I didn't really compute that it was going to be the case, really. And I think that I think that the telephone started ringing from Europe, and I was calling Europe, and Europe was calling. The time difference, they, they were staying uh, up, staying up a lot. And uh, I was talking with uh, John Lane, Castor Parent, friends of, deep, deep friends of Gilles, to find out what the situation would be with them, with Ferrari, first of all, because I didn't know what we had left on the special, special terms, and strange terms and Jill had picked up the whole of uh, number one driver in there and uh, I didn't know what it was going to be but it was going to be all good when when you reflect on what we're talking about now 35 years on does it still feel terribly emotional yes mm. yes because I think everybody felt it Everybody felt the situation, and uh, they, they were all helping to forget all that, bad things, concentrate on the good things. Now it's easy to say, but uh, at the time it was a lot of pressure, especially in Hockenheim, and I think well, in Imola when it's... Uh, well, let, let's talk about then how, how it came to be that you would replace... Jill in the team. How how soon afterwards did you get a call from someone at Maranello inviting the, you? The next day. Right, okay. Because Pironi has had the feeling that it was okay. The Ferrari felt that they, 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 I couldn't, couldn't say no. Mm. They could, I could. Maybe, maybe, maybe I could. I could have. But no, no, knowing that what I know now, it's... Uh, what was it like to replace your friend? You don't replace anyone. Your friend or mate or, or uh, adversary. It's not a replacement. You're taking your place over, but it's not, you don't replace it. Mm-hmm. Replace it. Mm-hmm. You probably are more motivated than uh, if you're just doing it for you. They had the impression that I was doing it for us and he was part of the adventure I was finishing up his job that's why maybe that made me stronger because I was doing it for someone that cared that I cared for do you understand? Mm-hmm. how good was that car? it was not too good initially 
That's why he probably had that accident. It got better and better and better and better when they tried to stiffen it. Uh, RV Postal Weight had done a great way to work with it. It was carbon fiber and honeymoon and uh, honeycomb. And they started to try to make it stiffer, sturdier on the back end, not to be flexing too much with all the big power that we had. The car had to, to not be flexing. And uh, the gearbox was just a piece of beautiful machinery like Ferrari would expect you to, to have. It was a transversal gearbox. I could just play with it with two to two fingers. <laughs> and I just, when I went to Renault the following 80, 84, just a truck, truck, truck gearbox, shit <laughs> gearbox. <laughs> we worked on it with uh, Tommaso Carletti, which was my engineer at Ferrari, mm. and he had come with me at Renault. Okay. And uh, he tried, he tried, he tried, tried to, to improve the mm. gearbox, but uh, mm. never succeeded. Should have worked on the on the fuel consumption. <laughs> How did you find Enzo Ferrari to deal with? Can you speak Good. Italian? I could a little bit at the time. Mm. I just picked up every day a uh, word. It was better and better uh, as we went along. But I can't, can't all the conversation. I could not. Was he a straightforward guy? Yes. Mm. I always have felt very good with him. Mm. I've never been putting myself on the wrong side of the stick. And therefore, he didn't have anything to brag about me. Mm. So I think he was surprised also with what I produced. In fact, he did because I learned afterwards that uh, he was very impressed or he cried on, on the TV. He was an old man, but he cried watching the the end of the race, I think it was in uh, Hockenheim, or was it Imola, I don't know, but he cried. It's uh, a postal rate, which was an engineer at the factory that reports that. He was, um, for me, was fair. Just two other things I wanted to ask you about Ferrari. One was Hockenheim, 82. Your first win with Ferrari, the first Grand Prix win of your career. I should not have been scheduled to win it. I think Didier Pironi was scheduled to win it. He has a bad, big, big misunderstanding with uh, Alain Post. He flew up, landed on the nose with his legs in the front. At the time, today would be a joke, no problem. But then in, we, we lost so many guys like that. So his legs were he cut into the, on the brackets in the front and he, he, he had to be uh, severely taken care of by Professor Sayan in Paris and uh, that was a bad, bad time also for us. So that accident took place during practice at Hockenheim, wasn't it? And it was raining and the conditions were horrible. How difficult was it for you to lift the team, keep going, and win that race? Not difficult at all. If I can brag about <laughs> doing it like that, 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 that way. We were fighting against the Brabham's that were on a one stop. We had to start with a full tank. So initially we were slow, but then we had to go fast in the second part of the race, which is what I did. And uh, everything went uh, natural. Because I had not been a number one. Mm. And nobody considered that I was a number one. And uh, it turned out that I did score any enough points to be able to be halfway through the years if we take the points. Oh, exactly. You scored more world championship points from halfway yes. through 82 to halfway through <laughs> 83. <laughs> if it had been like the, the WAC super season, you would have been world champion. Yeah, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and Rosberg second. <laughs> so, what about Imola 83 then? Very emotional time for you to be in the Ferrari. You've done in, your work, huh? <laughs> You've done your fish. But it, 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 emotional time, Ferrari fans all around you. I think there was even, 
There was even a wasn't something written in front of your grid position on the on, yeah. on the track. Yeah, you can Win see. for Gilles or something in yes. Italian. Yes, you can so see to it on deliver, pictures. To deliver that victory, how was it for you? How emotional? Very, very, very emotional uh, before the start. I'm sitting in the car, going onto the slot, and I see the the flag painted in front of the box where I'm supposed to stand. So. I don't go there, I stay behind for my respect for the flag and for the Italian crowd that have painted that. Fair enough. And at the start, nothing particular happens. The Brabham's are of their weight because they are going into a strategy plan which is was to run softer ties and uh, carry less fuel at the start. Suddenly, when everything is clear, only to some laps remaining, get a bang on the head. No, it doesn't go that way. I have a fuel pickup problem in the, in the Tamboilo. Yeah. And So uh, you had the fuel pickup problem? Yeah. But then what, suddenly it came good and you were... Yes, uh, the... Yeah. the, the of all mm. rest of the lap it's, it's working everything's mm. working normally did you feel that you were winning that race for Gilles it's easy to say afterwards but I had no I had no real feeling uh, except the one of finishing and trying to preserve the the engine mm. uh, and, and the because I uh, when I got this problem I said oh shit no this is it. Again, I'm going to have a, a problem. I'm not going to finish that race. And suddenly, I get hit on the, on the, on the head, head by, I don't know what, a bird. I thought such happened. Look around, going back, but very quickly, and I couldn't see anything. And uh, I had the feeling then that I had been woken up by something extra spiritual, I am a bit mystic about things like that. And I thought, thought that uh, Gilles was in the car. And that's why I said I, I did it for Gilles also. Voilà. It's so powerful just to hear you talk about it now. I can't even begin to imagine what it was like at the time. Hmm? Which of the two victories means the most to you now? The first or the last? The first. The first. Hockenheim. Mm. Why? Because it's the first. Because it's the first. <laughs> yeah. You never forget your first. Right? <laughs> you never forget your first. <laughs> so how disappointed, Patrick, were you when uh, you weren't retained by Ferrari uh, at the end of 83? Uh, Could you feel it coming? Were you no. surprised? Now we came to the point where, what do we do? We have Alboreto, we have the other two. What do we do? Which one do we take? Marco, obviously, decided to go for René Arnoux. Mm. He had played the game better than me. Politically, yes. with inside the team? Yes. But do you feel also that having two Frenchmen in an Italian team was unsustainable? They were, they were definitely going to lose one of you. It wasn't a case of keeping both of you. Fourier wanted to, wanted to keep me for development, for the car, for the time that I've spent with him. And I felt that was the right thing to do. It was fair and yes. I mean, we had, we had a good uh, relationship. Mm. It was okay. Mm. And uh, on the other hand, René uh, had uh, finished the season on a high, beating me. He deserved... Uh, the nod also. Mm. So, so three into two doesn't go? No. No. Alboreto was coming in. Yeah. He had been signed since Detroit, I think. Right. Well, Actually, there's one other race I wanted to ask you about when you were at Ferrari. Um, in Monza 82, when Andretti, Mario Andretti, was parachuted into the team, um, he puts it on pole, everyone goes mad, 
Uh, you actually beat him in the race, though, didn't you? But how was it being Mario's teammate? And what are your memories of that slightly mad weekend? It was like uh, Disney, Disneyland. <laughs> it was a total different atmosphere. It was an American way of being, racing. Mm. Reminded it you of being in, did it remind you of being in Can-Am? Yes. <laughs> it was Mario Andretti. Uh, and uh, fair enough. But I mean, I had a problem with my sh shoulder and I had to take an in injection of Novocaine to stop uh, the problem. And I drove that race with one arm, pretty much. And uh, I finished second to René Arnoux, which on the, with the, the Renault, uh, there were three Ferrari drivers on the podium. <laughs> so that's why he was very pleased with him. Yeah. And, uh, how was Mario to work with? I don't remember. Mm. I think he was very professional, but, uh, I think he was just, uh, for the check and the holiday <laughs> in Italy. <laughs> he was like a Messi yeah. coming to the, yeah. Back to the, it was uh, very important, I think, for the team, and that's why uh, I took it uh, positively. But I also went for it because I didn't want to be, be, be beaten by the old guy. Mm. But uh, obviously, he was forty-one or something at the time, wasn't he? Not seventy. <laughs> <laughs> and so, just quickly about the Renault years, then eighty-four, eighty-five. So you leave Ferrari, go to Renault. Um, what state was the team in? You've told us already that the gearbox was no good, but do you feel that Renault had slightly fallen out of love with Formula One at that point? No, 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 no. No, no. no. Still completely committed. How yes. good was that car then in 84? I think with the post, with, with me, I think we would have won, won the championship. You would have won the championship with Prost in 84, yes. in a Renault? Yes, was because that if you remember, I had many, many problems. Yeah. With the fuel. Fuel, cables, uh, while leading the race. Yeah. In Dijon brakes, in uh, Monza um, brakes of uh, the throttle cable, in, uh, in uh, Sao Paulo, in Rio, fuel, Calami, fuel, uh, Monza, Landwort, fuel. Yes, <laughs> it's got a comprehensive list, isn't it? Yes, and it was crazy. Yeah. Rolling where you had to mm. to put the fuel in the freezer to get more. Sure, yeah, yeah. Well, the Tag McLaren Porsche engine mm. had the DB electronic, mm. right? Mm -hmm. DB metal electronic. Yeah. We only had the mechanic. Sure. <laughs> not miles behind, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the power was there. The power was there, yeah. So you were... But then 85 was, was... 85 was the end of the... 85 was the end of the, the yeah. race for Renault yeah. at the time. Because they had, bad, they had bad drivers. They didn't have bad drivers. No, I know, but everybody thought so. That's how they blamed. They blamed you and Derek Warwick. I don't know what they did. I don't care. Yeah. Well, Patrick, it was a hell of a ride, you might say. Your Formula One career. How do you reflect on it all when you when you look at everything that happened? You know, the two wins, the five poles, the eleven podiums, hundred and fourteen races, and the Canamarines. Of course, the Canamarines. I was just talking about two, two Canam yeah. championships, of course, and the rest, and the rest, and all the rest. Because after we finished with Formula One, I was I was allowed to go and break myself doing uh, two Arikana snowmobile. With off in the, in what the did that involve? Did uh, it was uh, with Ronnie Medge. He was organizing. Where were you doing the racing in? In Canada, really, Quebec, all the north. How fast are those snowmobiles? One hundred twenty, fast. One hundred twenty kilometers an hour. Wow, fast, faster than because they were all the Why designed. did you do that? Why did you feel because the need wanted to, to do? do all the things that I didn't have the time to do or the, the authorization to do. So you did snowmobile. Did you win anything? Did, forgive me, no. I don't know. I, I, I came in first, uh, first European. Because all the other guys were team, teams, of, teams of three. And uh, 
first and, European. Uh, first European. And the following year, we did it with uh, three European. The other two were Cyril Neveu, and I think, and, uh, and Hubert Oriol. So that was with three psycho. <laughs> Talking of three <laughs> madmen, what about um, the Tour de Course Tour de jet, course. jet ski race? Jet ski what, race. What, what was that about? That was good. So yeah. from the mainland to Corsica? Mm, that was, that, that was uh, the, how do you say, the uh, prologue. And then afterwards we had to, every day, a different stage around the Tour de Course. I had my boat. The only one of these mistakes I did, and uh, everybody slept on board, and we had the big every party. day big party. big party. Yeah, and uh, that was good fun. But, but what that, about the F1 career, Patrick? How how do you reflect on it all? Do you feel that you got the most out of it? Do you do you feel that? No, you, no, I should have. I should have. Uh, materialized and con concretize yep. the, the potential. I think I had more. But, uh, because, because you made some wrong decisions, for example, yes. going to McLaren instead of Ferrari yes. in 78, do you think it would have all been very different sure. had you gone? Sure. But uh, it would not have been as uh, diversified, but yeah. uh, it would have been better, probably. Mm. Did you enjoy it, though? Did you enjoy all of those races? Do you look back on Formula One with pleasure, what you achieved? My Ferrari, yes, yes, for sure. That's why, um, even so, it was not with my friend. We were not going together at it. It would have been good, like Villeneuve and, uh, and, Gilles, and uh, Gilles and Arnaud in, in uh, Dijon. And I think at uh, the time now, I would have liked, I think often I'm thinking about that, I would like, I would have liked to go like Gilles and uh, Ayrton and Hatzenberger and Ronnie and not be uh, like I am now, sick, uncomfortable. Okay, I had good fun with you today. I opened up my book in, of memories that are not supposed to be released or oh, well they will be with the book uh, I hope uh, to be finished uh, I think it will be finished by Christmas do you feel that the, the list of names you've just given me Patrick Depayet also you lost a lot of friends Oof. you lost a lot of friends just too you? many mm. too many but maybe today it would well, I'm not going to say it would be good for the guys out there to understand that and to be a little careful more careful with themselves and yeah and it's a bit silly, bit, bit silly to say that this way but to take care of one another to respect a little bit more one another I think some of the guys yes are concerned about that but this is a very very dangerous sport and they think that they are immortal in their cellule well, uh, safety's come on a lot since your day. I mean, I yes. think you could argue, couldn't you, that your years were with a were very dangerous, weren't they? Mm -hmm. Just look at the, look at the record. But um, who was the best driver you think you raced in Formula One? I think uh, Ayrton. Oh, Ayrton! Yes, of course you did. Yeah, in, uh, I didn't race against Gilles or very few races yeah. where I had some equipment. Ayrton, I had a better car. It was uh, races, difficult races, the wet in Israel, for example, finishing third, survival, mm. survival. I take that one for what did you say? Good to, memory. What did you say to Ayrton on the podium at Estrell in '85? Can you remember? No, no. no. Were you friendly uh, with him? Yeah, very friendly. I remember the year before when he had a tallman. And the guy went and checked front left, front right, rear left, rear right. He wanted to know what all the guys in front had put on for the race in terms of chassis handling and tower and stuff like that. His attention to detail uh, yes, impressed you. Yes. In mm. the crew, the, one of the examples also I use sometimes, that he sent me a Christmas card 
with a photo of his car and his helmet in the car and the photo of my car, not his car, saying it would be nice to be teammates next year. That's uh, how tricky he was find, finding himself. Uh, do you still have that Christmas card? I wish. Mm. I think I probably do, but I don't know mm. where. Mm. Well, Patrick, you're a superstar. Thank you no, so much I'm for just your time. A, I'm just a bloke that is uh, happy to be back and uh, finding that uh, he has not forgotten by you because I didn't know you. It, mm. It's been yeah. a pleasure to meet you. And thank you. What an amazing man. It certainly took some effort from Patrick to chat, but his stories were great. His tale of Brazil 1978, when he kept crashing his McLaren thanks to the influence of James Hunt and a local lady friend, was gold dust. Then there was the intricate detail in which he described the key moments of his career and his friendship with Gilles Villeneuve in particular that left me with goosebumps. Thank you, Patrick, for your time. It was wonderful to chat, and I wish you all of the courage in the world as you take on your latest battle with Parkinson's disease. Well, that's it for this episode, but we'll be back next week with another fascinating guest from the world of F1. While you're waiting for that to drop, head over to your favourite podcast app and leave us a review. And while you're at it, why not click subscribe? You know it makes sense. Thank you for your kind messages about last week's show with Jodie Schechter as well. Jodie's a living legend, something that wasn't lost on many of you, including James Rogers. I love how Jodie goes from being a stoic and serious Clint Eastwood type when talking about F1, says James, and he suddenly becomes Tom Cruise jumping on the couch talking about soil. Yep, there's no doubt that Jodie's a very passionate farmer. Thanks for getting in touch, James, and please keep your feedback coming. We really love it. Remember to use the hashtag F1BeyondTheGrid and you can tweet me at TomClarksonF1. Beyond the Grid is produced by F1 in association with Audioboom. Until next time, keep it flat out.